Traditionally, in HR, focus was on the individual rather than the broader picture. Those days are behind us. The best performing teams put people data at the heart of their HR decisions. While people analytics leaders and those implementing analytics initiatives currently tend to come from outside of HR, there is still a strong need for an HR background in order to understand all the processes as well as having the soft skills. Not everyone in HR needs to be a data analyst, of course, but they should be able to be a data consumer, data translator, and data storyteller. And that's what Chris Bjorling and I will be focusing on today. Our guest in episode four joined Protective Life to help them build data-driven capabilities in their HR department and take their performance to new levels. Matthew Hamilton is head of HR strategy and people analytics at Protective Life. Hey, Matthew, welcome to the show today. We're pleased to have you here. You started with an engineering background. How did you end up doing people analytics? I kind of followed a non-standard career path, I think, but that's I think that's also not uncommon amongst people in, in the people analytics space since it is uh, emerging. But you know, my path to what I'm doing, uh, I actually started my career as a military officer. I flew helicopters in the Army for, for several years um, and ended up getting out of the service and went back to grad school. And then I, I kind of floated between and worked in project management and aerospace and software um, and ultimately, ultimately found my way into the HR realm um, via the, the military background. I found, found my way into working for a four and 500 bank um, for in the leadership development function, leveraging that military leadership experience. And, and then because I had an engineering um, degree, I got tapped internally to start building out the analytics capabilities within HR. Um, I, it's sort of a joke, but not too far from the truth that the conversation essentially said, well, you understand math and a lot of HR folks struggle with math, so come figure this out. Um, so I did that for a few years, um, building out the people analytics capability in the bank, and then ultimately got recruited away to come to Protective Life. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny, uh, if we had talked you know, about eight years ago, I would have swore to you that I would never um, work in HR, I'd never work for a bank, and I'd never work for an insurance company. And now I've checked off all three of those blocks uh, to lead me to where I am today. Hey, Matthew, you, you've spoken You've spoken about the, the growing need for a shared language across HR. As part of that, why do you think it's important for HR to have data-driven and analytical skills? The importance, I think, for HR professionals to be data-driven, to have some level of analytical skills, not that we expect all HR professionals to be analysts, if you will, but I think it's important because of the nature of how HR has shifted. So if you think back you know, years or really decades ago, you know, HR was a lot more focused on, um, you know, acquiring in mass amounts of talent, think, you know, early, uh, you know, in mass production, and then a lot of focus on compliance oriented things, um, a lot of fo focus on labor relations, and it's, but it evolved to where HR, the idea of HR being the strategic partner to the business. And to me, at least, one sort of implied part of being strategic is that you have to come to the conversation with facts, um, data-based facts, um, so that you're not bringing just opinion into a conversation, just opinion and experience, but you're bringing actual factual information. And so that, I, I think, has really pushed the, the impetus for HR as an organization to be data-driven, to be fact-based, so that we can truly be strategic in how we're advising the business. Think, you know, business leaders 
they're used to consuming data on all kinds of things and how they run their business operations. So, you know, why not for people also? And, and then sort of the importance for the individual in HR to be analytical and data-driven um, it comes, there's, you know, lots of, lots of different research out there. One that I, I go back to is research that was done um, by, by Josh Burson initially um, where he, they were able to show the, the analytical or the data literacy competencies of all HR professionals, not just an analytics team with an HR, but all HR professionals in an organization um, had the, the, the biggest correlation to being the most, um, the most mature organizations in terms of using that data. And if you think about it, if, if your analytics team with HR can create some great uh, analytically driven insights, but the rest of the HR team doesn't have that data literacy to be able to, con- to understand and consume that, then ultimately you're going to have a challenge actually putting any of those insights to use. So that's why you know, it's, I think it's important that all HR professionals have some level of, of um, data-driven or analytical skills. Well, that's brilliant. That's really fun. My mind has just been racing with everything you've been saying there because it's so exciting. Let me ask you a question because I love how you started out in the in the earlier question saying, you know, you understand math, HR people don't normally, and you kind of just back that up with the, the study um, that you referenced for that. So quick question for you here, um, you know, kind of a coin flip moment. Do you believe data analysis skills are more important than traditional HR knowledge? So as the analytics guy in HR um, answering this, I uh, might, might give you a counterintuitive answer, but I'd, I'd actually say, no, they're not more important than traditional HR knowledge. Um, what I think is actually important is to have both or to have some degree of both as much as we can in ourselves as individual HR practitioners, but then especially within your HR team, within the broader HR organization. Um, and I'll give you a, an example. Um, I actually wrote an article on LinkedIn recently uh, about this, but but using an example that I've used with the teams that I work with for years now, what I do is I, I when working with the teams, I will put up, or what I'll do is I'll tell them, I'm going to show you an image. I'm going to show you a picture. And I want you to write down just one, the one word that comes to mind to describe what you're seeing, the one or two words. And so then I put an image up and it's this beautiful picture of, of, I don't know what kind, but redwood trees, some kind of trees, sunlit, shining through them. And and then I I kind of give the description of, of you know, the history of HR. But what I ultimately lead to to talk with them about this is uh, about 60% of the time people write down tree or trees. And then about, th- you know, 30, 20 to 30% of the time people write down forest. Um, and then, then you have those 10% of people who write down something completely different. But what I use that as a vehicle to talk about is the mindset of people in HR when they, the ones who say tree or trees, they tend to be the kind of people who focus on the individual. The kind of person who answers forest tends to be the kind of person who focuses on the big picture of things, looking at aggregate at big patterns and trends, but not overly focused on the individual. And then that 10% of people who say something like peace or transcendence or something, those are the creative thinkers who think outside the box and they approach the question entirely differently. And previously, I, I would actually, I would use that as a vehicle to say, you know, you need to be saying forest. You need to be thinking bigger picture trend because if not, you're too focused on the individual. Um, but when I was actually writing this into an article for LinkedIn, it made me kind of step back and think about it. And I, I said, actually, no, the right answer is, all of the above are correct answers um, to you know what what describes this image you're seeing, and 
in a team, in, a, in an HR team, you actually need all of those answers. If you, if everybody had the broad view and focused on the the big picture, and nobody did focus on an indiv- on the individual level, you'd have a problem. Actually, um, if you didn't have those ten percent of people who gave you out of the box crazy answers, you're not going to ever have creative solutions to anything because everybody's thinking inside the box. So. Um, you know, so to go back to your question, do you know our data and analy- uh, analysis skills important? Yes, they are important. Are they more important than traditional HR knowledge? No, I, I think they're all important, and we need to have a good mix of those amongst our teams. I love your answer. That is wonderful. Yeah, it's kind of like you know you have to see all of the picture. I think that is the way your your reference is going. That you know those three components that you looked at from the statistical standpoint represent the whole picture, and that's that's the cool thing. And I love that. So let me shift gears a little bit and, and ask you this as the head of HR strategy and people analytics at Protective Life. For you, what are the three most important metrics you look at when assessing employee and team performance? Yeah, so this is a, that's a very broad question, right? There's a lot of things we can look at. Um, what I would say is beyond just me and, and my company, I'd say for, for any um HR leader or HR analytics leader, you know, what, what are the things they should be looking at? And the answer is really, it depends. It, it depends on what's your business, what's your strategy, what do you, you know, what's going on right now, right? These, the, the, the most important metrics, they shouldn't stay the same over time. They should evolve as the situation's changing. Obviously right now with, you know, being everything impacts because of COVID, um, the things that we should be paying attention to for team performance probably are different than what they were pre-pandemic. Um, so they, they need to evolve. So so I'll kind of answer this from, you know, what are three things that I'm pay, really paying attention to right now? Uh, but, you know, if a listener's listening to this, you know, three months after we've recorded, it, it may be different by that point. Um, but some of the things I'm paying attention to right now is is retention, um, but particularly, uh, you know, the, the resignation rate that people are, are leaving the company at. Um, and particularly, I'm, I'm focused on um, our high and mid performers. So so basically our employees who are our stellar performers and then our solid, you know, our solid bedrock of employees. Um, we probably not dissimilar to other companies have, have seen that uh, resignation rate um, depressed because of the pandemic. You know, the job markets kind of froze up a lot. Um, but now that vaccines are getting out and things are in, you know, more or less in different places, but are starting to move towards returning to normal, I wouldn't say they're back to normal yet. Um, people, the people are expecting job mobility and you can find this in the, in the press, you know, the, I saw a recent article on CNBC said one in four workers is planning to quit their job or thinking about quitting their job after the pandemic. Uh, obviously, if that happened to all of us, that would be, uh, you know, a major impact. So paying attention to the resignation rate of, of our employees so that we can stay on top of it um, and not let that catch up on us um, is is one important thing, uh, because if you're losing all your high performers, it's it's hard to have to deliver business performance, if you will. Um, another one that's paying a lot of attention to um, is around our use of time off um, and not just the volume of the usage of our time off, but how long it's been since employees have taken time off so that we can start to focus on um, both at a, at a high you know, top line level for the company, but then also getting down into to specific leaders um, to understand where we might have problems that employees, uh, you know, in aggregate are stretching the average time that it's been since they've taken time off too long. Um, so it's important to be, you know, using that time off for rest and recovery throughout the year. You know, if you've gone eight, 12, 16 weeks without taking a day off, 
you might have some people who are really prone to burnout. Um, so we're trying to focus both, you know, both at the organizational level, but then also at the individual level to find where we have either teams where there may be a, a systemic problem with people not taking enough time off or individuals where individuals have stretched it out too long and, and their manager may need to have a conversation with them to say, you need to take a day off and re relax. Um, and, th and then I guess the third one um, that is pretty broad that we're focusing a lot on is in the diversity and inclusion space. Um, so a lot of metrics within there that we can measure in particular, just focusing on things um, and how they break down to uh, uh, groups of employees, underrepresented groups. So paying attention to minorities and females and ensuring that we're creating good career paths um, for them, but bringing them into the organization, but creating career paths for them to move, move up in the organization um, to not get stuck at, you know, the, everybody's familiar with the, you know, the idea of the glass ceiling, but, but also there's some um, uh, terminology put, I think it was McKinsey who, who put out the term, the, the broken rung. So the ladder, you know, moving up the ladder, you know, where, where do we have the, the broken, if you will, where we have employee representation of, of uh, minorities and females drops off at different levels. So how can we keep moving that up to create the pipeline so that we can have diverse leadership, not just now, but in the future? Matthew, we are coming towards the end of this interview already. Um, I've, I've just got one more question for you before I th then throw it back to Chris. Um, and it's one that we like to ask all of our guests. And I think it's particular, particularly uh, relevant for you today, given, given the two sides of the coin that we've spoken about, the human side and the data side. A as we look to wrap up, we, we like to ask the following. Um, from, a, from a culture and people processes perspective, what does a high-performing company mean to you? So I think for a high-performing company, um, it, it really means that they're uh, an organization that is delivering on or meeting the expectations of all their stakeholders. Um, you know, as an HR professional, it can be easy to, you know, too easy to focus just on the employee, for example, or just on the candidate, for example, if you're in the talent acquisition space. But I, I think it is important to, to understand and meet the expectations of all the stakeholders. So that means, you know, if you are a public company, your shareholders um, um, so your, you know, your shareholders, your customers without, you know, without satisfying your shareholders and your customers, you, you're not going to have a company for too long if you can't do that well. Um, but then, but then also meeting the, the needs and expectations of your employees and in with the employees, I, I would lump candidates for jobs. Um, even if you haven't hired them yet. Um, and then your communities, the communities that people that, uh, organizations operate in like you have to fit um and be a you know an active member of the community i think to to have that you know long-term um you know long-term potential and really be um truly high performing matthew thank you so much for everything you've been giving us today during this podcast it's exciting to hear all of your thoughts and your ideas it's wonderful to take your engineering world and break it into the the current modern concept of analytics in the hr world and i loved all of the examples you gave stories you told, clear, spot on. So here's a question that we want to ask you. How can we learn more? Um, yeah, so I'm the, you know, for me personally, um, LinkedIn, that's the social platform that I'm on. So um, I think I'm just uh, Matthew R. Hamilton is my extension on LinkedIn. And I've been um, starting to, this year, I've been trying to make a, a conscious effort to take more of my thoughts and put them down in written form and put those out. So I've been trying to publish weekly. Um, so you can just, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, to get that written content. Um, um, and then my company, Protective Life, um, is is uh, just uh, protective.com. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. 
This podcast is supported by Fidelo Inc., a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance. Through their products and services, Fidelo helps clients design, develop, and implement strategic integrated human resource processes and systems. Learn more at fidelo.com. That's F I D E L L O.com.